This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and Welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I am your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, we are dipping our toes into a pond that we have only just barely touched in the past, and that is New French Extremity. That's right, we are going extreme with this episode, and you know I can't do it alone. What kind of fun is that? (laughs) And we just don't do that here. So I had to bring in the big guns, and I am thrilled to have with me on this episode the one and the only Jen Adams. Hello, Jen! Hey, I'm so excited to be here today and to talk about this this really extreme film. I think extreme is really warranted here. <laughs> wow. Um, yes, I have seen this film uh, a couple of times before, and I swear that nothing really prepares you when you go into this film for what you're about to see. It is truly intense. And so, yes, we have. Like I said, dipped our toes ever so gently into the waters of French extremity with talking about Raw, which is one of my favorite episodes we've done around this place. But Jen, tell us what film we are talking about for this episode. Well, we are talking about the 2007 French film Inside or uh, à l'intérieur, which is just so much fun to say. I took five years of French in high school and middle school, and that's about all I can do of French because, you know, I left it behind me after I took that AP test. But yeah, we're we're covering um, Alexandre Bastille and Julien Marais. And so you can see how my French has left me behind as I pronounce those. (laughs) but yeah so we're talking about the original french one i have not seen the american remake have you seen that i have not seen the american remake so i think that this is actually a very good film to kind of view especially through the lens of the new french extremity which is kind of a a pretty broad i think descriptor for a lot of different films Mm -hmm. um but yeah nothing really prepares you for what you are about to see when you venture into this film. It is truly something intense. So I know I'm so excited that Jen can be here to talk about this film. Um, I think I've mentioned before here on the pod, some of my inspirations in getting started with Bodies of Horror and Jen ranks at the highest for for that um because hearing her talk about just so many different topics related to horror films how they speak to her personally um has just been kind of fuel to the fire for what i do around here so if you're not familiar with jen's voice what are you doing 
because <laughs> Jen is kind of a podcasting legend, dare I say. <laughs> um, so you have heard her voice about here on the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad. That's right. She is one of the Pod Squad friends and family here. One of the pods that I consistently, or series, I should say, one of the series here on the network that I consistently call out is White Ladies in Crisis. And Jen is one of the co-hosts there. The girls on the boys, because I absolutely love the boys. It's um, so good. <laughs> yes. And so she is there talking about that series as we just sit on pins and needles waiting for the new season mm -hmm. um so and on top of that um i've mentioned psychoanalysis um the now quiet but please go and view the archives pod um talking about horror films through mental health and last but not least <laughs> Uh, the Losers Club. Um, if you are a fan of Stephen King, we've we've traveled to King Country here a couple of times at least. Um, if if you consider yourself a fan and you are not listening to the Losers Club, which covers all things Stephen King, we are talking film adaptations, obviously, every word written but also have episodes about scores and artwork. So much to explore there. And new, fresh, out of the oven, The Lady Killers. <laughs> How do you sleep? Uh, well, I don't always. Um, yeah, when you when you list them all like that, it does seem like kind of a lot. <laughs> yeah, we have, a, and that's part of the reason that, um, that, psychoanalysis is quiet right now not because of the other pods but just because you know we just need a little bit of a break and it is is kind of a heavy subject and I know that's something you've talked about on this pod too is it can be hard to talk about personal stuff um and so I like to kind of have a, a variety of, uh, you know, it's it's nice to just talk about the boys sometimes and when uh, the, when Kamiko rips somebody's face off and then dig into, you know, my relationship to King and addiction. And, you know, so I like to keep keep the heavy with the light. Um, so, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the Lady Killers. We'll talk a little bit about this at the end, but. This is a newly launched podcast. So what is it? What are you talking about? <laughs> it is, it's um, it's kind of uh been something that I've been kind of having in the back of my mind for for years because I am obsessed with female killers in horror, not real female killers. I have complicated feelings about true crime, <laughs> like the real stuff, yes. but I love to watch them on film. I've written quite a bit about them. That's part of the reason I think I like inside so much is because it's, mm -hmm. it's such a female centric movie. Um, and so this is a podcast dedicated to female identifying killers um, in the horror genre and, um, you know, a lot of 
it, good for her horror topics come up like how do we feel about what she's doing what is her motive what are her weapons like why is she killing and i think what we really want to kind of get to the heart of is why do we fear women you know and why mm-hmm. are there certain women that we fear more than others or um want to vilify more than others and i think like the movie we're going to talk about today is is not something that we have planned in the near future, but it's definitely one we're going to get hit at some point, because I think that when you think about a woman or a female identifying killer, there's just so many layers there because women are already vilified in a lot of ways in, in culture and on screen. And so to actually like put a weapon in her hand or sometimes to put a weapon in her hand that doesn't, that isn't really earned. Like we just covered a uh, trick or treat and talked about whether Rhonda is a killer. And so I think that it's just really interesting to look at the way we view women on screen. And so I'm uh, like just kind of clicking my heels to be able to talk about this. Cause it's so much fun. Um, and deep. We've talked about some deep stuff too. Um, and we're about to kind of dig into rape revenge, which is, something that I love, but also something that is, is challenging to talk about. So yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of really honest conversation. So yeah, check it out. If you have not listened, we've got about three episodes out now. Um, but yeah, more to come. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you guys have done both episodes on the craft and, on Pamela Voorhees. Yes, we have. We have our, we've got the episodes that you can find now are on uh, Pamela Voorhees and Trick or Treat, like I said. And then we also did uh, Lady Von Tassel from Sleepy Hollow, which was very yes, fun. Yes. <laughs> and then we've got our episode on The Craft is going to drop on Thanksgiving because we're thankful for that movie. And then we just recorded one on St. Maud, which was really oh. interesting. <laughs> Oh, and that is a tease because we have St. Maud coming up on the schedule. Ooh, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on that. Um, Yeah, that movie. Wow, those last yeah. couple of minutes. Ooh, yeah. Takes you, takes you to a place. It sure does. <laughs> so amazing. Um, And all of this stuff that we've just talked about um, will be linked in the show notes. Okay. So, um, all right. So we're talking French extremity. We're talking inside. So let's go to friend of the pod, Wikipedia, <laughs> and let's break down this plot. Because as I feel simplistic as this plot is, um, I do think it deserves kind of its robust retelling here. Mm-hmm. On Christmas Eve, four months after expectant mother Sarah survives a car crash that kills her husband, she makes final preparations for delivery the following day. The baby is overdue. Still reeling from her husband's death, Sarah has grown moody and depressed. She turns down her mother's request to stay with her for the night and has asked her employer, Jean-Pierre, to take her to the hospital for her eventual delivery. The evening, that evening, a mysterious, unidentified woman arrives at Sarah's door, asking to use the telephone to call for help. Sarah lies that her husband is sleeping, and she does not want to be disturbed. Uh, But the woman tells her that she knows that her husband is dead. 
When the visitor persists on coming in, Sarah, a professional photographer, attempts to take a photo of her through the window and telephones the police. When they arrive, the woman has already vanished. The police assure Sarah that she will be fine, arranging to have a patrol car visit throughout the night. Upon developing the photos, Sarah recognized the woman in the background of an earlier photo she had taken, indicating that she had been stalking Sarah. Sarah telephoned Jean-Pierre, asking to have the photos enhanced. As she goes to bed, the woman arrives in the bedroom, awakening Sarah with scissors puncturing her pregnant belly. Sarah fights the visitor off, who slashes part of Sarah's face with the scissors and locks herself in the bathroom, where the woman tries to gain entry. The woman makes clear that her intentions to take Sarah's child were herself. Jean-Pierre arrives, and not knowing what Sarah's mother looks like, takes the woman's word that she is the mother. Not long after her actual mother, Louise, arrives, arousing his suspicion, Louise heads upstairs to check on her daughter. Believing her to be the attacker, Sarah accidentally kills Louise by stabbing a needle into her neck. Oh, this moment. I know. Jean-Pierre... I know. Oh, Jean-Pierre is later stabbed to death by the intruder. The police arrive to check up on her with a prisoner in tow, which is totally fine. Um, not knowing what Sarah looks like, the police take the woman's word that she is Sarah. And everything is fine. So she's playing both Sarah and Sarah's mom. Like Meryl Streep could never. <laughs> As they are about to leave, the police realize the woman who answered the door was not pregnant (laughs) and and returned to the home. The first officer is stabbed to death with knitting needles as he attempts to arrest the attacker. The second is shot in the back of the head. And this is is a gooey moment. Yes, Uh, gooey is the word, yes. (laughs) The second is shot in the back of the head as he attempts to help Sarah. The attacker turns off the power as a third enters, waiting until they go uh, and turn it back on before shooting the officer and stabbing his prisoner in the head. Sarah confronts the woman and, and both injure each other with various household appliances. Sarah manages to burn off half the woman's face with an aerosol container and cigarette. The woman flees and after becoming cornered by Sarah, reveals that she was the other driver in the car accident, which killed her unborn baby. She wants Sarah's baby as a replacement. Before anything else can happen or be said, the two are interrupted by the revival of the third police officer having been shot in close proximity uh, by the woman with his riot gun. He survived the attack, but is now disoriented and blinded. He confuses Sarah with her attacker and beats her in the stomach with his club, forcing her water to break. The woman comes to Sarah's aid and brutally kills the officer, but Sarah, now lying on the stairs, has begun to give birth and the baby is stuck. Desperate to save her child, Sarah pleads for the now reluctant woman to do what she originally intended. 
acquiescing to the plea, the woman tearfully performs a cesarean section on Sarah with scissors, saving the infant but killing Sarah in the process. The woman then sits in the chair and begins rocking the baby, briefly cries as she looks soulfully at Sarah, who lies dead on the steps. So, woo, <laughs> Wikipedia really did some something special with this plot synopsis with some interpretations um, mm -hmm. of moments. Um, pretty sure that they also are calling one of the officers the prisoner um, that is revived. Um, so again, we've friend of the pod Wikipedia, but not always the most accurate. Um, <laughs> Because you just so, never know quite who that friend is, you know, and and I also think that there are some interpretations of this movie, you know, which is part of the reason I love it so much is that I, I see it in multiple ways. Exactly. So a couple of things I do want to point out before we really get into the meat um, of talking about this film is that, um, as you will notice, that the villain of this film is simply called La Femme or The Woman, not given a name and played with perfection by Beatrice Daly. Mm -hmm. And Sarah is played by Allison Paradis, who is the sister of Vanessa Paradis, who is uh, known for being in Knife Plus Heart. Um, I've not uh i think widely discussed film but very interesting very good and also probably better known for being the mom of lily rose depp so um just that's how i know her name <laughs> yep so just a little uh kind of brown robin there but all right, so let's talk about this film. Now, one of the things that we had gone a little bit back and forth was, all right, want to have you on the pod, want to discuss something. You gave nothing but bangers in terms <laughs> of some options, and this was on the list. What about this film speaks to you? I think it, well, just the experience of giving birth. I've had two children. Um, the first delivery was traumatic. And I think that when I watched this movie, I was afraid to watch it for the longest time because, uh, you know, I've got issues with scars and I've got issues with incisions. And I, I was just pretty squeamish and I was really afraid of uh, French extremity. And I watched this and I watched Martyrs. And, and I had been like, just terrified to watch them. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I want to know. And I just watched this movie and it just like, it felt like it just bathed me in power. And I, because the wounds that she experiences while she's giving birth so closely resembled the wounds that I experienced when I was um, in childbirth the first time, not exactly in a less gruesome, but 
there are so many parallels that it honestly, it freaked me out a little bit. And I was like, how do they, how do they know what the experience was like? And it just, it made me feel so seen after having experienced that because, you know, and that's something that we can talk about, but like, I feel like there is an idea of what giving birth is and there is a reality. And most of the time, those two things don't match up. And it be like, once you have, once you deliver a child, you almost, it feels like you almost become part of a club, like a secret club where you talk about these things, you know, you start talking about different bodily fluids and you talk about like different things that you, that you experience with your body. And it feels like you can't really talk about that outside of the club, you know? And I feel like that just kind of perpetuates this myth of like this perfect birth and this like really angelic ideal of a mother. And I really loved that. I think this film is kind of peeling that back and showing like, it's really brutal. It can be really brutal to give birth. And, you know, I always couch myself when I say that, because if you are pregnant and you're listening, I don't want to scare you. I, I, you're, you're almost surely going to be fine, but I wish I had been prepared for what was going to happen to me and what my body was going to go through. And I was not, and part of it is I couldn't prepare because I had complications, but, um, I just feel like this movie is about a woman and a baby coming out the other side of just this brutal war. And I think my understanding of the film kind of, um, is not exactly what the filmmakers intentions were it. I take a lot of like narrative risks or not narrative risks, but like narrative liberties. Like I kind of read this as a mother being born through the bloody delivery that she experiences. And that last scene, I think just leaves, it's just so beautiful to me because it's this mother who has been, and leaving aside who the character is and what she's done in the film, it's this mother who has been just torn apart by the act of delivery. And this child is just looking at her and in this red light. And it's saying like, it's okay for your body. Your body's still yours and you can still be a mom and your child will still love you. Um, your body's not ruined forever. And I think that that's kind of how I understand the message of this movie. I doubt that's what the filmmakers were intending, but that's how I feel. And so when I watch it, it almost helped me like reclaim this really, really upsetting experience that I had that I'm really glad I had because I love my daughter and I don't regret going through it, but it was really hard and it has permanently changed my body. And that's something that I've had to live with too. And so I think I see this, this film and it, it just makes me feel seen, you know, it makes me feel seen and validated. And that, um, that was something I hadn't really allowed myself to think about until I watched it. And then I was like, oh, okay. Other people go through this and it's, it's okay. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's such a beautiful way to frame, I think, the conversation because we've talked uh, on the pod uh, about a couple of films dealing with pregnancy and childbirth, but mainly through the lens of kind of like genetic engineering and mm-hmm. IVF because I am someone who cannot have kids um, because of my disability. 
And so it's been a topic that I just really haven't known how to really delve into understanding that pregnancy and birth can be kind of emotionally and physically traumatic um, for for the the birthing parent. And so when you offered this up, I I was like, oh, this this sounds like something that's really powerful to speak to. And um so thankful that you shared a little bit about your experience. I think it does, you know, the the ending moment um and and just kind of the cesarean scene because it is very complex because she is screaming out like the baby is stuck Mm -hmm. and so now it's like well this is kind of what the woman was going to do anyway is she like how how do we how do we move how do we think about how this is playing out Mm -hmm. um it's it's all very complex I also love what you said about, um, I think, just the whole process in general. Because one thing that really, I think, resonates with me, especially in going back and watching it for this record, was just how distant Sarah seems at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, she seems very unattached from all of the things that are happening around her. She's not really communicative uh, to the people who are speaking to her. She just wants to be left alone. And we understand like, she's gone through something that's very traumatic and horrible. She's lost mm-hmm. her husband. She was in a very violent car accident. Um, but she just doesn't really seem to have that idyllic relationship with her body with what's happening you know this beautiful natural thing that we're all expected to um have a very specific view of Mm -hmm. she just seems very disassociated yeah and i i find that very interesting especially as she becomes i think more and more connected to it as this horrific violence occurs Mm -hmm. yeah and that's one of the things that i really love about it too it's probably i think one of the three big topics that i really love about this movie um and you know i have always i'm a person who always knew i wanted to be a mom and i do have two kids and um But I also have a lot of friends who don't want to have kids or who cannot have kids or who have chosen for whatever reason not to have children right now. And they get a lot of shit for it. And they are constantly having to deal with this like, no, this is just a choice I made. Or it doesn't it doesn't make you any less of a woman to not have a desire to have kids or to not be excited to have kids. Um, And I heard it described one time as like getting a tattoo on your face. Like if you don't really, really want to have children, don't do it. And then I also have friends who identify as female who don't have the bodies that can produce kids. And I think that there is a lot of, um, there's just a lot of stigma about um, women who do not want to be mothers or who aren't mothers. Um, 
and not a lot of understanding about, you know, what the various factors that go into that. Um, I'm also talking to you now from Tennessee, mm-hmm. which is a state that has a total abortion ban. And luckily for me, I am out of that phase of my life. So I'm not, you know, a constant, my husband has a vasectomy, so I'm not constantly mm-hmm. afraid for my life. But I also think that there's this understanding of what makes a quote unquote good woman. And that is procreation. And I think that that is total bullshit because it's my body and I can choose to do whatever I want with it. And I kind of love this, um, this scene where Sarah is at the doctor's office and she just doesn't have any connection with her child. Um, and that should be fine. You know, like she, one, she has had this really, really traumatic experience. She's lost the father. Um, and so I could completely understand not wanting to have anything to do with, you know, you don't want a daily reminder of him without him and also having to go through the difficulty of being a new mom on your own. And um, so I think all of her feelings to that are completely understandable, but also she shouldn't have to have that trauma to not want to have this kid. Like if she, you know, we, sometimes you get pregnant on accident and you might get pregnant through someone that you don't know, someone you don't love, someone that you don't want to have a relationship with. And if you have that baby, you're going to be connected with that person for the rest of your life. And the baby is a stranger to you. Like they might have some of your cells and DNA, but like, we are not obligated to love the the cells that grow inside us. We choose to. And I find a lot of power in saying like, I choose to love my daughter. I choose to love my son. I don't do it because I have to, because I am a woman that they grew inside of, because I have a womb. I do it because I choose to. But I think that this idea that because we are the, these cells start growing inside us, we are obligated to sacrifice our life for them. And that's just, it shouldn't be how it is. Like I shouldn't go to the doctor and have my blood drawn and match with a kidney, somebody who needs a kidney across the country that I've never met and be obligated to donate my kidney to that person. You know, this baby. And I mean, people might be mad at me for saying this, um, but like it's just we this pressure on women to feel maternal to people that we've never met is what i think leads us down this road of well you're the babies obviously should their life means more than yours obviously so we should do whatever we can to save the baby ahead of you and that lets us just eric excuses all of these things that women go through when they're pregnant that don't serve us. It serves either the provider or it serves the baby and it can harm us. And it doesn't have to be that way. No, I, that's, I I, I think so spot on because how many, no, there's what, 2006 medical dramas on TV and there's at least a thousand episodes of Mm. those 2006 um tv shows that deal with oh a complicated pregnancy a complicated Mm -hmm. birth and we have to make the choice between the mother and the baby and Mm -hmm. what do we do and oftentimes you know we 
I think it's easy for me to talk about it through a lens of the baby that comes out on the other end that may have complications. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was diagnosed um, at birth because my mom had a very tumultuous pregnancy and had to get her cervix sewn shut because oftentimes folks with my condition, we tried to peace out mm-hmm. and she's like well I really wanted to have you and so I went and said how about we we stitch up and we try to cook this baby as long as we can and so I like that's great um and but it's it's a conversation to have it's like well but if this would have put your life at risk, mm-hmm. what kind of choices would you have made? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not conversations I've had with my mom. Um, mm-hmm. But I, so uh, it's very interesting and I think great to kind of talk about this from the perspective of that parent mm-hmm. um, that I think can lose some of that autonomy and that voice in those moments because Mm -hmm. what's happening to them and their body is is important and needs to be discussed and i think especially with that with that ending of the film i think that really puts that on blast yeah yeah and i think it's also like the thing i come away with that from is there is no right answer. There is no black and white truth. There is no a hundred percent. This is what you should always do, which is why we should not have laws that legislate what we do, because that is a personal decision that like, I, you know, I did have a traumatic delivery, but my pregnancy was relatively easy. So I was never like presented with that choice. But if I was, that should be my choice. It shouldn't, it should be me and whoever I let into that decision circle. That should be who gets to make that decision. And your mother should have the same uh, choice as well. You know, anyone who is carrying a child gets to, should get to decide where that balance lies, which life, um, exactly. I don't want to say like, which life is more important, but like when a situation arises, how you handle it. And I think that strangers making laws about that is why I think I get so like frustrated when I say, well, why, why are you wanting me to sacrifice my life? Um, which I might choose to do that anyways, that might be my choice, but you can't decide that for me. You know what I mean? And you shouldn't decide it for anybody else. Well, I think that that's the heart of the point. And mm-hmm. I think that that's where a lot of that difficulty comes in having these conversations is mm-hmm. that oftentimes for folks that are, you know, being um, on the side of reproductive choice that's not taking the choice from someone else mm-hmm. where the alternative is and yes. it should be based on what your what your personal beliefs your personal stance whatever you want to bring into that choice that's on you mm-hmm. but know that the person that's sitting next to you in that waiting room is going to have maybe a whole different slate of beliefs thoughts concerns um and things that they need to factor in 
and Mm -hmm. what you go into that office and make your choice based off of shouldn't be a factor on what that next individual has to deal with absolutely Um, so no i i completely completely agree um and i also really appreciate you i think bringing up the fact of that often having a child not just having a child because when we talk about being a parent lots of ways to be a parent mm-hmm. um, absolutely so um but caring a child giving birth to that child we often do associate that with femininity being mm-hmm. a female and um you know being someone that was born without the ability to have a kid and knowing from a very young age that that was just not something that I was going to do because it was very strange and I think this is a much broader conversation but you know when you are a girl and or a female identifying child and you're playing with dolls and you're playing with dolls with your friends who are also girls female identifying Mm -hmm. and you know the parents are like oh they're gonna be such good moms Mm -hmm. someday and my mom was like no Mm -hmm. like my kid just likes to play with dolls yeah and Mm -hmm. that's what I support and that's cool and I it, it was very I think also for me being like well why am I gonna be a good mom and my mom's like well if you choose to be mm-hmm. you can be a good mom and what is a benefit for you is that you truly have I think more gumption in that choice because becoming accidentally pregnant was not something that would happen mm-hmm. so you know for me to actually have a child that I would have to care for, there would have to be some other things that come into play. Mm-hmm. So mom is like, well, if you want to be a, a parent, that's your choice. And you mm-hmm. will be a good parent because that's something that you're choosing to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think that just with all things kind of associated with that reproductive health, um, I think especially when you are at a certain age, I think all of these things become very much uh, kind of in your mind, part of how you begin to identify yourself. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think in this film, one thing that stood out to me on on this rewatch is we talked about how she's very disassociated, how Sarah's very disassociated from the process. We literally get no moments of her before the accident. Mm-hmm. So we're not given glimpses of how she felt prior. But there is a moment, I think it's right after her doctor's visit, where she's talking with Jean-Pierre in the park. She's a photographer. She sees a couple with a child. And she's taking these photos of them. And there's, I think you can look at that a couple of different ways. Um, 
I think there's a read of that that is her seeing what she thought the next phase of her life would be Mm -hmm. with her partner, her child, and having that family unit that she created. Um, And she doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very, I think, quietly just kind of heartbreaking moment because you can read it that way or you can also read her as being like, you know, fuck them for being happy. Yeah. Yeah. Which and and honestly, maybe both, you know, yeah. like both of those things. <laughs> I, I've experienced both of those things like this, this longing for what you thought you had that you were so close to getting. Um, and this anger that they get it and you don't, and, you know, and just not wanting to see it, not wanting to be reminded, like she, there's just this feeling of her wanting to, to check out. And I'm also really, really fascinated by her relationship with her own mother. You know, she does not want to, she calls her Louise. She doesn't want to, um, to, she just doesn't want to be around maternal things. It's like, she just wants to kind of shut down and just hide and interact with the people that she has chosen because they don't bring up these feelings in her. And, you know, to her mother's credit, she seems to understand that and to kind of be uh, accepting of it, even though I'm sure it hurts her. Yeah. that I'm glad that you mentioned that because that was something Again, the film makes a wild choice and I think a deliciously wild choice and not giving us any details, any breadcrumbs, anything to nibble on to give us a sense of what Sarah, what Sarah's life was like, what her relationships were like. She does call her mom Louise and the only time that she says mommy is when she has killed her mother accidentally mm-hmm. and oh this moment is so heartbreaking because she has been desperate waiting for help mm-hmm. and one of the things that i really love about the character of louise of sarah's mom is that she doesn't there's no, I don't think there's a possible read of her as being overbearing, Mm-mm. as being um, controlling in any kind of way. She wants to give Sarah the space that she's requesting and only comes because she's concerned. Mm-hmm. Her daughter's going to have a baby the next day. It's Christmas Eve. This is a Christmas film. So put this on your holiday <laughs> watch list with the fam (laughs) yes absolutely watch it around the christmas tree (laughs) yeah please um which again interesting because there's no christmas decorations yeah um so we i we're dealing with someone that is wildly in the throes i think of depression Mm -hmm. and has not had the ability, I think, to get the help that she needs. And her mom, I think, is attuned to that. Mm-hmm. But did she, you know, did she call her mom, mom, at some point? But because of everything that's happened, she just, like you said, shut herself off. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not dealing with it. 
I don't want to recognize this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all very fascinating, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think we tend to think about pregnancy as the getting pregnant and the delivery. And we forget that there are 40 weeks in between where you're pregnant every second of every minute of every day. And so from these four or five months, she's had this reminder that is constantly poking at her and and prodding and just, you know, reminding her of what she lost and what she, she thought she would have. And I think, you know, it's easy to forget about that. Um, and, I think she, there is another moment, I think that she says mommy and it's right at the end when she's dying and the blood is just running down the stairs. And if I were to look at this as a, I I have this literal read of it and I have this whole symbolic read of like, is the woman real? Is this the maiden, the mother and the matron, like all kind of clashing and emerging. Like, I love that black and white um, image that is on her board that is like, the the two it looks like an ink blot but like if you look at it in a certain way and maybe this is this is the Rorschach revealing things about me <laughs> um but like you could look at it as two mothers kind or two people two women kind of wrestling for like this baby in the middle because we have the woman who wears all black and we have Sarah who wears all white and they get covered in blood but it's like they are kind of wrestling to emerge and which, which version of this woman is going to emerge. That's my symbolic reading. Um, But the, I think Louise kind of plays into that too, because part of what happens when you deliver, and this is again, symbolic, um, but like you are no longer the child, you are the mother now. And it's, it's a really transformational um, stage. And I mean, obviously I'm still a child of my own mother, but you, it's moving into a different phase of, um, you know, the, the feminine identifying journey. And I think there's part of me that's like, yeah, she kills her mom because she's taking her place. It's like kind of like an edible thing. And I know she doesn't intend to kill her mom, but it's just this, like this, this symbolic read in the morning of leaving behind the identity of a child to move into the identity of a mother. And I think that's kind of what we see her screaming for on the stairs. And also it reminds me like my own mom was there when I was screaming in pain and, yeah. and as well, you know, as blood was <laughs> pooling on the floor. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's this really beautiful, powerful moment of like, the ways that I feel like women kind of come together to support each other. And sometimes support is stepping back and saying, you'll call me when you're ready and I'll be here, you know? Yeah. There, that's, that's such a, an important point with mothers often, you know, like you said, kind of that change in role Mm -hmm. of child to parent and when you have that that child, you are now no longer just someone that is attached to your parent. You're not just, I'm the kid of so-and-so. Now you are the parent mm-hmm. of so-and-so. And how that truly, I think, becomes a final part of that cleave mm-hmm. in that relationship. And I, I think about complexities in that because... You know, I, I we all want to 
I, I don't think that there's anything negative or anything negative to read in the idea that we all want to do better than our parents. Mm-hmm. We choose to be parents. We all want to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, we all want to learn. And I think our parents would say, absolutely. We are perfect. And hopefully there are things that you can take away and do better. Yeah. But What's that Barbie phrase, the, our mother stand back to, so that we can see how far we've come something like that. Exactly. Probably butchered that quote. (laughs) But if you have a really pained, I think, relationship with your parents and did not have kind of a, if, if, if you're kind of reframing that view, what does that moment when you are now taking on a role as a parent, what does that look like? And how do you make that transformation? And what difficulties are tied to that? Um, it's it's a lot to take in and and, but I love that you kind of put that symbolic um I think viewing of that out there because I do think that's very much I think intended in the film especially with how the woman shows up and yeah she's in full like regalia Mm -hmm. yeah um it is she it's it's stunning to see yeah um one thing I do want to circle back on quickly is in talking about kind of this idea of, you know, as a female, female identifying person, um, associations with, okay, in order to have this identity, it's part of carrying a child and giving birth. We go back to the story of that this woman mm, yeah. was pregnant um and lost her her child in the car accident um and that she is now quote unquote reclaiming a child for the one that she lost Mm -hmm. um i find that very interesting as well because this isn't just someone that is like you know the strangers why are you here Mm -hmm. you were home yeah Um, this is someone that was like no you and your husband were part of this accident i no longer have a child because of this accident and now you will no longer have a child Mm -hmm. and i am writing that wrong i feel like there's this um kind of yeah reclaiming i think is what you said and i love that we never get an understanding of who caused the accident, you know, like I was watching it this time and I was like, have my eyes peeled for any kind of indication of why this collision occurred. And I love that there it's, it just happened. It's just the kind of thing that happens. And, um, I have, I have two kids, but before I had those kids, I lost two pregnancies. So this is also something that really, that I really feel, you know, because, this idea of what makes you a woman is giving birth. If you have a miscarriage or if you are unable to conceive, then it's really, really easy to internalize. Well, there's something wrong with me. I'm not a real woman. I can't, I can't do the one thing that I was supposed to do as a woman. And that is not true. We should not have those feelings, but society tells us to, and it's really, that can really compound the loss of like losing a wanted child and also like 
you blame yourself because it was something in my body that happened that made this, this pregnancy go away. And I don't want to say I was lucky, but I lost them both pretty early. So the complications, like I was able to just kind of pass it. I didn't have to have any kind of procedures to, to remove the tissue, but I understand like this, I can't imagine what this woman had to go through, um, because the baby is still inside you if the baby passes away. And that is such a traumatic experience, one that I have not experienced, but I can understand her wanting to do anything to reclaim this, this motherhood feeling like she opens the film by saying, you're finally inside me. I finally have it. I can finally feel it. And I remember after I lost that first pregnancy, I was just desperate to get pregnant again, even though, you know, I wasn't medically allowed to, but I was like, I've got to fix this. I've got to prove that I can do it. And I've got to, I've got to get it back. I have to do whatever I can to write what I saw as a wrong. And so I think that's what the woman is doing. That's one of the other things I find so fascinating about this movie is what her motive is because she is obviously doing horrific things. I cannot endorse anything she's doing, but I understand why, you know, she wants, she just wants to be a mom. We don't ever see a father with her. So there's an implication that maybe this was like, she had been trying for a long time. She's done some kind of IVF or something to, to become pregnant and now it's gone. And on top of that, the woman who gets to have the baby who was in that collision doesn't even seem to want it. So there's this kind of judgment too, of like, I want this baby. I will be a better mother than you. And if I can just take it, then that will right the wrong that this collision started, you know? Yeah, that's, no, I love that. Because to your point, because we get just the bare minimum of what happened with this accident, I, you're exactly right. We have no idea what, like who may have been responsible. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if there was anyone responsible, because yeah. accidents are sometimes just accidents. Yeah. And, and it's raining, you know? Yeah. And, and it's around the holidays. So mm-hmm. who who's to know and who's to say? Um so um but what I think that potentially in in kind of thinking about what the woman has experienced in this time between now and where where the film is picking up and and the accident maybe that accident left her unable to carry a child Mm -hmm. maybe she had some kind of physical um uh, uh kind of impacts from this accident which very logical Mm -hmm. and so that like you said that kind of speaks to i need something to i this is the right i need to wrong Mm -hmm. or this is wrong i need to write this is something that i need to to have back Mm -hmm. so i i think there's some really interesting i think things that i think because the film doesn't go into these details it really allows us to kind of 
each time we we go back to the movie we can plug in a different kind of idea of like mm-hmm. what happened before um which is really 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 interesting oh yeah the, and the um, scene where she first appears mm-hmm. behind sarah i mean first of all the scene where like she's outside and she's lighting the cigarette it's so well shot but then the scene where she's behind her on the couch and she just like seeps into the background it's so chilling and once you know what's going to happen after that too I think it makes it even more horrific yeah because there isn't there really isn't like an altercation of her like gaining access Mm. yeah Sarah which I think is so unsettling um there isn't which I think is also part of what makes like films like the strangers really powerful is because there isn't like this big battle of like, we want to gain access into your space. We want to gain access to you. It's just something that they're just lurking in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, oh, it is eerie stuff. Well, and so that, kind of ties into my overall kind of reading of the film, which again, I do not think is literal or what the filmmakers intended, but I, I love to read this film as just the story of a birth and to look at the woman and question whether she is real or not. And again, Mm -hmm. this goes against things that we see in the film. So I understand I'm taking some artistic liberties with this, but the the fact like if I look again at the the maiden and the matron and just kind of these identities of motherhood and I say this I want to be clear I'm saying this differently than the kind of stereotypical motherhood I was talking about at the beginning like these are just kind of understandings of phases of a a a person's life who has a child or just a female identifying person's life as well. And it kind of ties into a whole witch thing, which we could talk about (laughs) at another day. Um, But like, I look at the woman as the mother, she is the mother who is no longer like the sexually desirable one by society. I say that quote unquote, because I think Beatrice Stahl is just incredible at looking and acting in this movie like she's smoking hot um but like it there's this understanding of once we have given birth we lose that sexuality that men are are designed to chase and so um what i kind of love looking at this film as is this story of like we are still valid we are still beautiful we are still strong and powerful even after we have crossed this threshold of birth even after what it's done to our bodies and so like sarah is the child that dies to give birth to the mother that is the woman which is kind of and again it's a symbolic thing but like i think the the two things that kind of let me into that is the fact that we see a picture of Sarah in the park. We see not Sarah, the woman, we see that in the photograph, but we don't actually see her in the scene. And again, I have my eyes peeled for this, this time I was like, do they show her lurking around the shadows? Now we also don't see everything that Sarah's taking pictures of. So she could have walked in after the camera turned back to Sarah. That's totally understandable. But also the end where she's telling Sarah, I was in that other car and Sarah said, they told me there were no survivors. Now it could be that Sarah 
they just didn't want to upset her more. They were concerned for the amount of trauma she'd already experienced. They didn't want to pile this on. Um, and there's really, I don't know if she would need to actually know about this. So I could understand them just not telling her, but also I could understand like that, that kind of allows me to say, well, maybe the woman isn't real. Maybe there weren't more survivors. Maybe this is Sarah wrestling with the version of herself that she understands motherhood to be. And this birth is just her shedding this, this childlike skin to become the mother, this scarred, but still beautiful mother. And I think like, because we don't know how she gets in the house. We never see that. We just see her appear. And if you watch her kind of just fade into the background, like she doesn't look real. She looks like a ghost. She looks like she's not, she doesn't look like her feet are moving at all. And so it's like, there's this looming image of motherhood that Sarah is terrified of. And that is what is kind of lurking in her house. And I could you know, go a step further and see this is like a symbolic representation of a, just a traumatic home birth. Again, I don't think that's what, so anybody who's about to at me and say, <laughs> well, check, like, I know, I know what happens in the actual scenes, but this is just how I understand it. And I think it partly is because that it, it just kind of validates a lot of how I feel about my own body after having given birth is that this like I, I came out of my daughter, my daughter's birth feeling like I had been torn apart and to see this woman still holding this baby have having put been put back together, just, it just felt so empowering, you know, sorry, that was a long, no, <laughs> a long convoluted I, thing, but so powerful. And I, you know, if we, like you said, you can read this as kind of a representation of a traumatic home birth or just a traumatic birth mm -hmm. because I think it does you know there's that representation of the fear mm -hmm. of what's happening which is obviously played out up until throughout the end where mm -hmm. you know the, the thing is in the house yeah. um, there's no escaping um, the yeah. thing is inside you. There's no escaping. There's no escaping. And I'm telling you, there is a moment. And for me, it was around seven months where I realized how big the baby was. And I realized how big any of my openings were. And I was like, how, how is this going to happen? And I think that's, that's a really interesting point. It's like, it's gotten in and it's taken a hold and you can't do anything about it, but just let everything play out the way it's going to happen. And you have so little control over the way it's going to happen. And you just kind of have to ride it until it's done, you know? And I think there's a lot of power in that too. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think we also, one of, I, I, guess a nugget that the film gives us um with that doctor's visit before is that she seems to have not had any complications mm -hmm. with the pregnancy mm -hmm. um so you know shocking given what she had gone through with the accident mm -hmm. um but you know that's we we would assume that that would be a cure-all almost right mm -hmm. like that's supposed mm -hmm. to be a cure-all well the most important thing is that my baby is okay 
Mm-hmm. And so that should make everything okay. But that mm-hmm. doesn't make everything okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the baby is slightly overdue. Um, and so they are um, going to induce labor on Christmas Day. Just like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, which that, I'm sure there's a read. That <laughs> probably is some immaculate conception kind of thing yeah yeah which might i could maybe piece it apart mm-hmm. to like bolster my the woman isn't real thing but i i don't know that might be a that might be an essay for another day <laughs> but i think that again because she is i think because sarah is doing this ostensibly alone mm-hmm. um there's probably <laughs> that increased level of fear Uh of like what is going to happen um even and please speak to this because this is not something i can speak to but i would assume even if a pregnancy is going completely textbook completely fine wonderful great there's still that okay now this that is here has to come out there uh-huh and what yeah like- exactly yeah yes and i also want to say like our bodies are designed to do this and it is completely possible and again i always want to remind people like if you're pregnant and you're listening you are most likely going to be fine yeah. um the world is filled with the the products of successful births so Um, But I also am reading this book called, it's by Alison Yero and it's called Birth Control. Hold on, let me get the title right. Birth Control, The Insidious Power of Men Over Motherhood. And it talks about, it's just, it's like totally my jam, but it talks about the ways that we um, give birth in hospitals now. And again, I had two C-sections in a hospital, so I'm not advocating for anything other than um, listen to your body and doctors listen to your patients. Um, but the way that a lot of what we do is designed to control this experience for the convenience of care providers, um, and the, and for, to avoid the hospital getting sued. And it can be terrifying to roll up to the hospital and, and I had have this memory of my second child. We had a planned C-section because the first one was so traumatic And I had been, I was like, okay, I'm good. And I hadn't really been thinking about it. And then the anesthesiologist came into the room and started talking to me and I just burst into tears because I, it hit me what I was about to go through again. And it, it, it is terrifying. It can be very scary. It feels like you get lost in the process sometimes. And that's like under some of the best experiences, um, and it's also not just the baby coming out, you know, it's, um, one of the things that I love so much about this film is the wounds, like the wound on her mouth is like an episiotomy, which if you don't know what an episiotomy is, that is, um, Ugh. a provide, yeah, it, 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 a provider will, um, intentionally make the, uh, opening bigger in to prevent tearing. And again, I don't, I'm not judging anyone who has experienced Never. any of this, um, 
but that's what the the wound is and i think it's such an ingenious way of showing that without showing it because you know the vaginal opening is about the size of your mouth you know and that is such a an unsettling wound to see throughout the film is this cut on the side of her face um, well and we have that dream sequence mhm yes. where the baby comes out the mouth Mm-hmm. And she's spewing milk. And, you know, that's another part of it is you're even if you're not going to keep the baby, your body is still going to produce that milk. And it is painful for your body to stop producing that milk and to produce it. And like, I know so many women who have had infected infections and clogged ducts and, you know, that the nursing thing is a whole other side of it that I think can get overlooked. And there's a whole lot of judgment about nursing as well. Like, well, Yes, yes, you know, yes. it's good for the baby. It doesn't matter what it does to you, but it's, it's really fucking hard and it hurts. Um, but yeah, that, that scene where she just, she starts uncontrollably like spewing the milk. If you've ever had a situation where you are uncontrollably spurting milk and it doesn't matter where your boobs don't care where you are, they don't care who can see it happens and you can't do anything about it. Um, but then there's also, the wound um, on her hand when she sticks her hand out of the bathroom and the woman takes the scissors, um, which is a whole other thing. The, just the fact that her weapon is scissors, but stabs her in the hand and pins her to the wall. And I have this scar on my hand. I don't know if you can see it, but it's right there. Oh yeah. It's this yeah, teeny yeah. tiny little pinprick scar, but it's from when I got an IV when I checked into the hospital and I was already having complications. I was already in like excruciating pain and they stuck this tiny little needle in my hand and I just flipped out and I started screaming because I was just so scared and it was more pain. And so I saw that, I think that was the wound where I was like, holy shit, this film sees me like, because it's not just the opening that the child comes out of, like it changes your whole body. I don't wear the same shoes, shoe size that I wore before I got pregnant. Yeah. Um, and then the, the tracheotomy, this one is a little more of a stretch, but like I was, I was having an abruption, a placental abruption, which is when your placenta tears away from your body. It feels like your skin is being ripped off. Um, it hurts a whole lot. And, um, and uh, the reason I think I, I got to this is because I had a pretty, pretty standard pregnancy. There was no indication that any of this was going to happen when I showed up at the hospital. And then all of a sudden every contraction would rip it a little more. And I would just start like screaming and I like actually screamed for them to kill me or give me medicine because it hurt so bad. Um, it doesn't still hurt and I'm fine, but <laughs> it, it really fucking hurt. And then, and so they put this mask on me to try to give me oxygen. And I felt like I couldn't breathe because there was this thing covering my face and they're telling you to breathe. I had taken a Lamaze class and I had no, like I was planning to do all this stuff. And then they put this thing over my face. And so it's not quite the same as what happens when she hits her with the toaster, which is another incredible scene. <laughs> but it, it that was the uh, the next one. And then they cut my stomach open. And so to watch that happen while I was awake, while I was, you know, listening to them talk about how much blood was on the floor, I was like, it, it just, I watched this and I was like, somebody sees me, somebody sees what I went through. And, and, and this woman 
emerges with all of these scars. And it's not the same woman, but in my mind it is. And she is able to hold her baby even after everything she's been through. And, and I just, I feel like I, I, the, the credits rolled and I was just kind of staring and I was like, Oh my God. Cause I hadn't thought about a lot of that in a long time. Cause you forget because it's traumatic, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think there's a piece of this too, in, in what you're, what you've shared and thank you so much. Um, I think there's also this idea of best laid plans. Yeah. Uh, this is what, um, you know, like I am my mom's second child. Mm-hmm. And so my sister who's older, she was perfect pregnancy, perfect, easy birth. Um, not a single complication, nothing. And so when my mom started having complications with me, she had no idea what, like, okay, well, what does this pregnancy, like, what do we do? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, so I can sew her in. We can, we can wait and bake. Then what? Like, what do we do mm-hmm. to get this from here from point a to here? b <laughs> yeah um and also what like what complications can come from this um because that wasn't in my mom's plan mm-hmm. she's like i had the easiest pregnancy and birth with child one child two is going to be the same mm-hmm. and from the get-go I wasn't and I was also like my mom dealt with a lot of issues because I was very very small um she didn't get very big in her pregnancy and people would not believe her that Mm. she was pregnant Mm -hmm. and she'd be like no I'm here um we lived in a very rural area and so she's Mm. like no I'm very much pregnant uh probably gonna go into birth and labor here in just a minute so can we please and they're like oh you're not what yeah Mm -hmm. um so lots of complications when things aren't going as planned and clearly none of this has gone to sarah's plan Mm -hmm. um which i think is um something that's really worth noting now one Mm -hmm. thing that you you hit on really beautifully um and i think is is something really important worth talking about is again going back to this idea of the trauma of Mm -hmm. birth the physical trauma um one thing that you mentioned the scissors Mm -hmm. (laughs) the the cesarean scene of her just like a piece of paper yeah. like cutting through the belly mm-hmm. and knowing that this like you are getting cut open in a cesarean mm-hmm. section mm-hmm. um i'm i'm really interested just to um kind of get your take on how from if we're looking at this from a 
a symbolic point of view, those types of moments um, read because like you mentioned, how some of this is mirroring actual like medical things that you would experience mm-hmm. in the midst of a traumatic birth or any kind of, I think, kind of medical emergency as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the tracheotomy. Um, so how do you think that this gives any more or less credence to this having a more symbolic type read? Um, I think for me, I think it kind of gives more. And again, I don't think this was the intention of the filmmaker. I think it just kind of, I don't want to say happy accident, but it just is kind of one of those like serendipitous moments. And one of the scenes that I'm very struck by, and that kind of helps me connect those dots in my own experience is the, uh, the blood just running down the stairs, you know, and I remember because when you have an abruption and listeners, if I'm upsetting you, I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think it's important to actually talk about the stuff that happens. Um, sure. But like, as you're like, there are some kinds of abruptions where the blood comes out of the vaginal opening. And there are some that are called concealed abruptions and that's where the blood pools inside you. And so that's what, what was happening to me. And when they made the incision for the C-section, it all just poured out on the floor and my husband was there. And I remember hearing one of the doctors, cause it's the teaching hospital, um, say, wow, that's a lot of blood. And I was like, uh, 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 well, actually I was pretty numb at the time. Cause they had given me a lot of pain medicine and something to calm me down, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but this idea of the best laid plans, like that makes me think of birth plans because that is something that a lot of women take a lot of time to create this birth plan. You want to have it documented so that the provider, because when you're in the moment and you're in pain, it's really easy to just say, do whatever to get me out of this pain. And so a lot of um, people who are about to give birth like to really document it. They like to talk over it with their provider but you don't always know if you're going to get the doctor that has been treating you for this whole pregnancy because you don't know who's going to be at the hospital when you show up um, or at the birthing center because doctors have their own lives too. I mean, that's not a judgment on any doctors, but um, they it, there's something called the cascade of interventions where they, they will a lot of times start saying, well, let's just make an episiotomy because it's easier. And then that leads to the next thing. Or if you uh, take Pitocin, which is what's um, induces labor, like that starts to lead to a lot of other in- interventions. And I did not have in my plan to have a C-section, but that's what ended up happening because the baby was, she was in distress and they needed to get her out. Um, and I'm really glad that that's how it happened. Like it turned out. Okay. It was very, very traumatic, but it turned out. Okay. Um, and so what I think is really interesting, and I also know there's a lot of judgment about C-sections and there's a lot of women who go into birth thinking if I have a C-section, I have failed to give a, like the quote unquote natural birth, we should say, unmedicated birth because natural implies that there's something abnormal with having a birth that includes medicine. Um, but like when she is cutting, like, it's just so wild to think that cutting her stomach open with scissors 
is what she is preferring in this moment. That is the better thing to do because the baby is stuck and she is in this moment of her body trying to do something it can't do without assistance that will kill both of them if somebody doesn't do something. So the idea of wanting someone to cut your stomach open with scissors is just, just, I think shows what it's like, you know, like when you're having a C-section, they, they don't put you to sleep. You're awake. You hear everything. They take organs out of your body and they put them on top of your body so they can get in there. And it's just, um, it's a real mind fuck to think about. And I think that the, I've never seen a film that um, felt like it showed the brutality of that and the experience of having that happen while you're laying awake and you can't do anything about it. Um, and it just, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how to finish, but it just, it felt, it made me feel seen. I was like, Oh, somebody gets this, you know, or somebody can watch this and understand, you know? And again, I'm not sad that I had, I'm really glad that I had a C-section because I'm okay. And my daughter's okay. And my son's okay with the second one. I don't feel like I did anything wrong. I don't think the doctors did anything wrong, but it definitely was not what I planned. And so to see, like to read this whole film of Sarah has this plan, she's going to show up tomorrow morning. They're just going to monitor her and at night they're going to induce which, yeah. you know, the kind of casual throwing away induce, like that leads to a whole other process. But her plan was not for this woman to show up and to cut her baby out of her and to attack her and to kill her mother, to kill her employer. And it just, it kind of shows that nature or the, it is just, it's a process that we really can't control. Um, I wish that, we had more understanding, but I don't think there's as much money in studying female bodies as there are in studying male bodies. Um, so I think we could have more control over it. We could do um, more interventions. Like in this book that I was just talking about, there's this, um, she was talking about how you can prevent having an episiotomy. You can prevent tearing by holding hot compresses over, you know, the skin around the opening and they don't know if it's because the heat is actually preventing or actually like affecting the skin, or if it's just that it's keeping the doctor's hands busy. So they won't make an episiotomy. Like there's just no way to know with what we know about birth right now, wow. because the priority is male bodies. No, and I, I think you, you really unpack a lot of the complications with kind of the process of mm. giving birth obviously within certain groups most specifically like fundamentalists fundamentalist christians mm -hmm. and kind of like this whole emerging trad wife yeah. um, movement of we have to have a home birth and it has to be a free birth mm -hmm. where we do not have any kinds of medications and we can't go to the hospital. If we have to go to the hospital, it is a failing. Um, and um, on one hand, we understand that this is not great, that going to the hospital, having that medical assist is often necessary mm -hmm. and the safest route um, to go. 
obviously, if you are at any uh, point of having any complications with the birth or if your child um, is having any kind of complications, you you need that medical intervention. Mm-hmm. But there's also that other side of, you know, there's just so much that we, and by we, the general we as humans don't understand about the process mm-hmm. and what are we doing that we can do better yeah and how can we be better informed so that that process is safer more comfortable um for that birthing parent yeah um, and for that child so yeah complications do come up because of of just the process yeah and i it's just again it's one of those things that i struggle with because it's like i'm i spent you know the front part of my life feeling kind of robbed Mm -hmm. of the ability to experience something like that and then Mm -hmm. i spent the latter half of my life being like got it thank you (laughs) yeah not something i'm gonna have to to worry about and i can put that off to the side Mm -hmm. um yeah i'll save my my medical trauma for the other surgeries and things Mm -hmm. um so one thing i want to to talk about because you and, and one of the reasons that I was so excited to talk about this film in particular, but something that you had mentioned kind of way back when um, in talking about certain films on psychoanalysis, especially, is complications with scars. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and we talked about the scars mm-hmm. that Sarah has because she has them from the second that we see her mm-hmm. um she has a scar on her chin um and on her cheek from the accident um assuming from the car accident um but talk to me a little bit about the complications the fears that you have with scars if that's something that you're comfortable Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of ties into this. That was like, I saw the image of scissors on a belly and I was like, nope, not for me. Can't do it. Um, and, um, cause yeah, I always have had a fear of scars. Like, and I think there's a mental element to it. Um, when I was 16, I had a spinal fusion, so I've got a big scar on my back and, but I can't see it. And I don't really think about it anymore on a daily basis because I can't feel that anymore, you know, as opposed to like the couple of years after it happened when it was more, uh, it was still healing. But my brother has this big scar on his arm when he broke his arm during, while he was wrestling and he had to have some, some metal stuff put in there. And I would just like sit across from him at the dinner table and like, look at that scar. And I was like, if he moves his arm wrong, it's going to rip open. And that's always what I'm afraid of with scars is that they, I don't trust them, that they are going to rip and that they're, they're, um, and when I put my, like my psychoanalysis hat on, I think it is 
scars are a physical marker that trauma has occurred, physical trauma. Um, the, the skin has been broken and it has healed itself. And the place that I am getting to is looking at seeing that as beautiful. And that is proof that the body can heal. Um, but the emotional part of me that is still dealing with a lot of this in therapy tells me, no, that it, it's never going to heal quite right. It's always going to be there. And I mean, I think there, there can be a lot of power in that. Like I'm not the same person I was before I had a big scar on my stomach from having children, but it, it always just, I think it's just a reminder of that trauma. It's a reminder of that pain. Like Sarah looks in the mirror every day. She sees those scars on her face and she is going to remember what happened for the rest of her life. And were she to survive, she would see that scar on her mouth and she would remember what happened. Um, and I think, so this was a fear for me, um, for a long time. And, um, until I had my second C-section and they cut into the same scar and it got infected after I, uh, after the birth and I had to go back to the hospital and take a bunch of antibiotics. And I had this traumatic experience with, um, in the hospital where the, the incision started. I don't even want to say it cause it might make me sick, but it was, it was upsetting. And that's, that's when it became a phobia. And now it has become something like I turned on Titani or Titane and I got about five minutes in and I was like, Oh, can't do it. Can't do it. Um, I will get there, but, um, but yeah. And I think this, this film, like she walks away, if Sarah were to survive, she would walk away with so many of the same scars that I have. And I think the woman she's got at the very end, she's got these burn marks on her face and to see her sitting, I keep talking about this image at the end, but she is scarred and she, her body bears the marks of this birth. And this child is still looking at her lovingly. And I think that was such a powerful image for me because it told me like, my body can still be beautiful, even though it is scarred. And I, my head believes that, and I am working on getting the rest of my body to believe it. But I think this film helped me. It said that this, this trauma, I don't regret it at all. It was hard, but it, it gave birth to <laughs> literally gave birth to something that I am grateful for. And so by extension, would it be possible for me to be grateful for those scars at some point? I'm not there yet, but I might get there, you know? Wow. And I, that to me is so interesting because being someone with a disability, a disability from birth. I had my mm -hmm. first heart surgery when I was under a year old and had my most recent one um, not too long ago. So I have, um, as an infant, they will sometimes go in through the side, mm -hmm. depending on your side. So I have a wraparound scar 
here and then I have the zipper scar mm -hmm. on my chest from the most recent and as someone with a disability we it is drilled in our brains and I don't think this is a bad thing I'm not framing this as a bad thing but it's a complicated thing of that our scars are strength mm -hmm. but yet we get bullied for the scars that we have we feel uncomfortable because we are constantly for me it's constantly trying to fit in to be mm -hmm. like my peers and when you have very visible scars or you're very like you have a visible um disability that's really hard because mm -hmm. it it not only impacts the way that you see yourself but the way that you think that others see you because mm -hmm. they're linked and so i but scars to me have never been in and of themselves like the issue they just exist mm -hmm. and i remember after i just had the most recent heart surgery like you had to be in a harness for a period of time so that you don't separate mm -hmm. anything but i ended up having to go to the hospital because something had separated mm -hmm. um and they had to go in and do some minor repairs as well as give blood so um it's it's interesting how our experiences from such early points in our lives because you talked about your spinal fusion as well um can really influence the way that we see these signs of our experiences on our body and mm -hmm. what they and what they mean to us and how we relate to them mm -hmm. yeah so, well and they become a part of us you know and and that brings with it so much baggage you know because you scars are they're symbols they're like a tattoo on your body that you don't really choose you know yeah. and I think I have come from a family where um the priority was always to make everything look good everything look normal like we don't show pain we don't show emotion we don't we keep it all bottled up so if I've got a scar that's showing that I was not able to hide this injury you know um and I think to look at it like Sarah like to relate that to the image of a perfect mother who was who whose body was able to just, you know, you hear that cough twice and the baby's there, you know, to, to have that home birth and to have it be, be this glorious experience. Um, and if you emerge from an experience with scars, it's, it's really easy to, I think, transfer the, the emotions of that experience onto the scar. And I think that's what I do. Um, and I think the, the important thing there is like, I don't, if I think home births are fantastic, I think births in hospital are fantastic, whatever gets you there and whatever makes you safe and healthy and seen, um, 
that's wonderful. I think the problem comes from um, outside pressure. Like if you are feeling pressured to go to the hospital and to get interventions you don't want, that's a problem. If you are feeling pressured to stay at home and have a baby in your bathtub, that is a problem too. And both of those things can be really beautiful if that's what you choose. But if that's not what you choose, then that is where the issue I think for me lies and the danger in not listening to, to the person who is giving birth. And I think like, it's that for me, it is that outside pressure. And I don't want to speak to your experience, but you did talk about a little bit about like the perception of scars, you know, and, and people see it and people take their own understanding of what that scar means and they place it on you. So it's this idea of this outside pressure, this outside understanding of a really personal experience that I think can cause a lot of negative connotations, you know, because like I said, I can tell myself stuff all day, but to actually feel it in a world that exists with other people who are feeling other things, I think is, is different, you know, and it's a little more difficult to, to really internalize that feeling that my mind, my brain knows, you know. No, I, I think you're exactly right. And I think it, to, to loop it into kind of Sarah in this film, you know, again, at the beginning, she's giving you nothing. Mm -hmm. Like she is very just kind of stone faced. She's obviously upset. We can, we can denote that, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I think it's it's very much about like keeping it all contained mm-hmm. and not expressing those feelings and just kind of getting through mm-hmm. what she has to get through. And then at the end, all of that held in literally has now come out mm-hmm. and it's it's a very... I think just powerful way to end that film is just kind of this woman's journey of again, just kind of really feeling, I think incrementally more and more connected to what is happening to her body because of force. Mm-hmm. Um, not because she's necessarily on this journey herself, but because she's being stabbed. Yeah. Um and she's being dragged along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I but yes, I think that you know, to to underscore I think anything around the ideas of choice around pregnancy, around birth, it's obviously about what is right for you mm-hmm. and not feeling that pressure because I think you're exactly right. When folks are feeling that undue pressure to make a specific choice those are when real dangers um, can arise. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think some of those pressures, we don't realize because there have been so many instances, again, going back to the uh, example of, of folks that live within kind of these communities or belief systems where this is what you have to do and that's kind of the ideology well if that's your ideology that's that's a form of that pressure saying that this mm-hmm. is what is expected this is what you must do and veering from this having to veer from this is not acceptable mm-hmm. and so there are lots of 
of instances where pregnancies and births become very traumatic um, and need emergency interventions because they are not heeding, I think, what their body is probably trying to tell them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's complicated and yes. Um, yeah. You know, hopefully there will be more, um, I think, movement on so many fronts to understand kind of the whole um, physiology around yeah. it so that we can create better circumstances. Mm-hmm. And less stigma. And I, that's part of the reason I feel like such a, I don't want to use the word evangelist, but you know, I, I, I like talking about this, even though it can be hard and it can be hard to hear. And I apologize to any listeners. I don't want to upset anybody and I don't want to trauma dump and I don't want, but I also, I want people who are voting to support laws that, um, that force women to carry children to, to to carry fetuses to term to understand what they're actually doing and that's another thing i kind of take away is if you are denying a pregnant person the ability to have abortion an abortion this is what you're forcing them to go through you know this yeah. is this is what you're it's not that they're going to have to i mean there's a lot that goes into it but this is what you're forcing to happen to their body against their will and that should not ever be anything that you get to choose for anybody else. And again, I'm saying I'm using the Royal you, not not you, Nicole. Um, But it's interesting. I completely agree that these are forces that you don't realize a lot of times until like the rubber meets the road. And that's why I think that scene, there's almost a moment at the end where the woman and Sarah start to work together. You know, they're fighting the men off, which I want to talk about the men in just a minute too. But um, it's like, you don't realize what the truth is or what you actually want until it comes to that critical moment and it's stuck and you've just got to do something. And that I think is when you really sometimes, hopefully it becomes revealed to you what it is you actually want. And hopefully you have the ability to get that or to advocate for that for yourself. And that's not always the case. And that's, that's really, it's heartbreaking. And I think a lot of women have died because of that. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I no, absolutely. I think one thing and and yes, we do need to talk about them in this film because because <laughs> there are some. <laughs> yeah. Um are there there are. <laughs> um, Technically. <laughs> um but in in talking about I think the the physical and emotional trauma of birth. I think one thing that is that really I think is worth just spending maybe a minute on is that Sarah's dead at the end Mm -hmm. of this film yeah and so where we have understood that she's had lots of I think understandable uh, issues living with what she had experienced before you can't help but think about and and this ties in i think to what you were talking about if sarah would have survived this and would have seen scars from this event how like 
having to live with that, the associations, and having a child, hopefully a healthy, striving and thriving child, that are all reminders that are all not now this child is a reminder of the husband that she lost in trauma one and is here because of trauma two mm-hmm. and the scars well this set of scars is from trauma one this set of scars is from trauma two the complications the just there's no way to describe what that experience would be like obviously mm-hmm. because it would be different for every single person that that is in that scenario mm-hmm. but wow to to just think about had she survived what what then mm-hmm. yeah I was thinking about that as I was on this last rewatch is like what happens next were she to survive would she want the child you know and I don't I don't know I don't, if it were me, I don't know how I would feel. Um, and I think that would be a completely valid choice for her to maybe want to give the child up for adoption. Um, but there's this, this feeling of reestablish. This is, this kind of goes against my symbolic reading of the film. This is when I look at it, I think a little more literally, like has this actually been set right. And why I think that like examining female killers is so interesting because I feel like there is a reading of this film where Sarah has died and kind of reified this paternalistic patriarchal understanding of what a good mother should be and what a good mother should want. And has the natural order been reestablished by Sarah dying. I don't agree with that, but I do think that there is a a reading of that. This is a mother who wants a baby and she has it. And the mother who didn't want a baby is no longer in the picture. And she has given her life to the woman whose child who lost a life, you know? And I, I think that's really interesting. I don't think that's what the film is saying, but I do think that there are some who would watch this and see that, you know, and that, and, oh, sorry. No, you're exactly right. And I think it ties in with what you were saying um, earlier about just, I think, the the expectations put on women mm-hmm. in situations, which is to sacrifice ourselves for our child or really for anyone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or for the mom who wants the baby, like whatever happens to Sarah, it's worth it because it's reestablishing this societal norm that we've all accepted, you know? Mm -hmm. No, it's, uh, yeah, I think that's what makes this film so interesting. And and I think you nailed it with, I, it's hard to say that this film is intentionally taking us down so many of these roads, Yeah, but the way that it is constructed does so beautifully that i yeah it is it is a a trip Um, yeah and that's where i think the simplicity 
is really key and why I really love it because it gives us just enough. Like there's a whole political violence thing that we haven't talked about that I personally, I mean, I, I know some people would find that interesting. I don't, that's not what I'm drawn to in this film, but it's there. Um, but it just, it really allows us to, it, it allows me, I don't want to speak for anyone else. It allows me to feel things that I want to feel that are hard for me to feel, you know? No, absolutely. And to, to put a, a point on that. So Sarah is a photographer. Mm-hmm. She is, I think she works for a paper yeah, or some kind of outlet and there are protests going on and the prisoner um, that they have with them when they show up later in the evening is someone that is part of these protests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is something happening. We're given very few details. Now there are other films within kind of the new French extremity umbrella mm-hmm. that go much harder into some of the social political um things that the film is commenting on mm-hmm. not to say that this film isn't commenting on anything specifically but um yeah there's there's kind of this there's something happening outside um that is we get nothing really about so no that would be interesting to talk about but we don't it doesn't really go there (laughs) yeah and there's a great book by alexandra west called from films of the new french extremity i don't know if you've read it but it's fantastic and and she does examine that um so yeah we don't have to (laughs) exactly so if you are interested in delving more into i think what are some of those issues that are really at the root of a lot of these different films do check out that book yeah um, that's great it is an incredible read um let's talk about the men yeah yeah <laughs> well okay so you brought up the prisoner and this is something that this kind of goes into my whole symbolic read again not it's kind of tangential to that but like there's this prisoner that's being dragged along and he is put in danger literally. because yeah literally dragged along <laughs> by like a tether on his wrist and this is, I don't know if this is a stretch for me, but I was like, well, you know, a baby inside a mom's body is kind of dragged along with her wherever she goes. And and we see this baby in the film. And so this poor kid who, yeah, he was setting cars on fire. That's not good. But he also got dragged into hell and yeah. like unexpectedly. And that's also kind of what happens to Sarah's baby is she's just kind of along for the ride. She has no, I'm assuming it's a baby girl, but I don't know. We don't ever really find out. Um, but uh, the baby's just kind of along for the ride and whatever happens to the mom happens to her and, or the baby and whatever happens to this cop happens to this prisoner. And I think it's just another way for me to preach that, like treat, like care for women, care for pregnant people, care for caregivers, because whatever you do to a caregiver affects the person they're caring for also. And I think that's something that we, that our society just doesn't value caregiving. Um, Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, I want to talk for a moment about Jean-Pierre. Yeah. Because and he's the boss, right? Yeah. Okay. He's the boss. I lose track of the men in this film because I'm so into the women. But yes, Jean-Pierre. And he gets stabbed in the dick. He does. Wow. Mm. Um, but what is implied 
or alluded to very gently at the beginning of the film is that, and it's a, a comment tossed out by Louise um, in the early scene saying, well, are you basically saying, well, Sarah, aren't you with Jean-Pierre now? And Sarah's like, uh, that is my boss. Mm -hmm. No, he is my boss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> More importantly, he is my boss. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and no, he's helping me out. Like, mm -hmm. we are not dating. We are not together. Because mom's like, let me meet him. She's like, no, you're not meeting my boss. Mm -hmm. Again, my boss. <laughs> not my not my boyfriend, a.k.a. my husband just died. Like, um, it's, but there's this weird kind of implication that there is some connection to them. Mm -hmm. it, but, it, but he, he is just kind of there he's assisting because sarah going back to what we talked about earlier really is putting distance between her and her mom mm -hmm. um jean pierre is basically like yeah i'll come i'll take you to the hospital uh at 6 a.m so that you can be there for the induction um and the men are so I feel like the men are just so inept mm -hmm. in this yep. film. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting to me that I noticed on this time is John Pierre shows up and he's about to leave. And the woman like brings him back in. Like she's the one. And it's almost like she wants to get him. And I mean, maybe she's trying to cover up evidence, whatever. He's seen her face. But it is interesting that like he has the ability to get away and he has the ability to stop this and he doesn't because he is too clueless to kind of figure it out. There's also the cops that you mentioned earlier that walk away, not realizing the woman you just talked to isn't about to give birth. Like she's told the police officers, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing, like with Jean-Pierre, she tells him that she is Sarah's mother. Mm -hmm. And he just believes it. You know? Yeah, he's like that tracks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When she has told him something is up, like there's a photograph she wants to enhance. And I mean, that's probably not like, hey, there's a woman stalking me. She's not directly telling him there's a problem, but he he feels he feels to me almost more like a paternal role than a romantic role to me, yes. you know, and there's this kind of, you know, issue with well, he's he's dealing with who he thinks his Sarah's mother is too. So they're both kind of vying to protect her and he just fails. And I don't necessarily think he does anything wrong. He just doesn't save her and doesn't protect her. Yeah. And I think I can look at the rest of the men here. I don't know. When I start to go down the rabbit hole of my symbolic reading, I'm like, is this, are the men... Western medicine exerting their influence are the, all of the cops who come in here, is that a cascade of intervention? Like we were talking about earlier, but what I think I kind of come away with all of the men in this film as is like, stay out of this. This is about us. This is about the people about to give birth. And 
y'all are just going to make a mess of this. You're just going to going to get in the way. This isn't about you, which I could also get back on my soapbox and say, Hey, if you can't give birth, if that's never going to be a factor in your life, don't pass laws for people that can don't try to control that. Um, and, but I don't know, I, I do think they're kind of, it's horrific how they get torn apart. And that one scene you mentioned, the gooey scene with the, uh, the, it's so shocking. And I think it's hard to watch that and not feel for Sarah because like hope after hope after hope kind of comes in front. And then what it ends up is, is nobody can help. This is just something that has to happen, you know? Yeah. For, for better or worse, you know? Yeah. Cause she spends a good chunk of, especially that middle portion of the film barricaded in the bathroom mm-hmm. yeah. um, upstairs. In with womb, the womb, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, with the woman kind of just going up and down, um, kind of fucking with her here and there, and then mm-hmm. getting to the men who show up. And it is important that, yes, her mom does show up. Um, obviously, her mom is a woman. The mm-hmm. most informed of everything is like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, something's up here. Where's my daughter? Yeah. Yeah, she's like, no this is bad mm-hmm. and she shows up and the uh Jean-Pierre is like all right now two women are saying that they are Sarah's mom who do I believe I don't probably the one that seems conceivable to be pun intended conceived oh. <laughs> um, uh to be the mom mm-hmm. um and the one who is like there's something up i need to go and see my daughter mm-hmm. um so i yeah the men just are not at all listening and really i think buying into what the women are saying mm-hmm. in these moments and i think also with the end this is something that was wild to me and maybe I was just having kind of like an out-of-body experience and watching this end segment, this go-round. So we have police officers that come and check in. They leave. People come back because they're like, oh, shit, there's no way that woman was pregnant. And this person is like nine months plus mm-hmm. ready to go. So we would definitely probably be able to tell yeah Uh, also she said there was a suspicious woman lurking around and this woman seems suspicious too so yeah you know maybe we should investigate more than just a knock on the door yeah maybe maybe that's worthwhile (laughs) um also again no one is commenting on how decked out the woman is Mm -hmm. like that is not a birthing gown no, no. And I, it's such a curious and like fascinating choice for them to make. And I think it's, I don't know. What do you think about what she's wearing? I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, it, it absolutely is gorgeous. I would wear it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not wear it to give birth. <laughs> um, but yeah, she like, because Sarah's at home, she's giving birth the next day. Like she's comfy casual. Mm-hmm. It's also Christmas. Yeah. Um, and this is straight up like Morticia 
gown, which is maybe why I love it. Yeah, it is gorgeous. But no one is like, huh, this nine months plus pregnant woman who is having a rough time and is having birth planned for tomorrow on Christmas Eve is just decked out by herself at home. In a corset. Yeah, in it. But again, don't know. Pretty sure that's not comfortable. Yeah, it would not have been comfortable for me. I don't want to speak for anyone else's fashion choices, but (laughs) it's not typical maternity wear, I will say. Yeah. So again, wild. But they were like, no, nothing seems wrong here. Gotta go. Then they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, we were wrong. At least they had that realization. That's true. Yeah. But they detriment. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But they have the uh the inmate with them um again pretty sure you don't do this no pretty pretty sure that's a no um let that guy go yeah but what is so wild so as i commented in going through this plot synopsis at the very end one of the last people standing is Mm -hmm. this inmate who had been tethered to one of the police officers. One of the police officers goes inside first, gets killed. The other one goes in, has to bring in the inmate with him, also killed. Um, And so this inmate is the last person standing, but he's been roughed up Mm -hmm. as well. He seems like a zombie. Mm -hmm. Like this, he feels like when he attacks her uh when he attacks sarah this is full zombie mm-hmm. that he doesn't even see who's he's, he's attacking he's you know actually blind to what he is actually doing you know right exactly yeah. and again it goes back to these men not seeing and not understanding mm-hmm. what and not being in the moment with these women and listening so yeah um yeah it's so wild and that's really there's no way for us to know but despite all of the horrors that sarah has experienced when she is attacked by this prisoner um by this inmate is that what causes this complication in the birth Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you're right. There is no way to know. Um, but I think it does seem to be it what it's what breaks her water and what um which that that whole experience is wild on itself. But um that and it is interesting if he had not popped up zombified, resurrected himself what would have happened would Sarah have been able to get away because she does seem to be in a a place of power she's um she's burned the woman and she could get away I think I think I mean she starts having contractions I think pretty early on when she gets in the um the bathroom so we know labor has started and I think that oh and I think her water actually breaks at that point too so I might be wrong but again your water doesn't break all at once it breaks over the course of a long time um but I think it is likely that that's what causes this 
complication that this direct attack on her stomach with a homemade weapon is what is causing it. She's been pretty beat up throughout the whole night. So I don't know if there's a direct line, but, you know, and that would, I think, kind of further my whole cascading of interventions. Like, is this, is this representative of a doctor who is so blind to what his patient actually needs that he actually causes more harm, you know? Um, again, don't know. That's probably not the filmmaker's intention. It was probably just a, a moment or a way. Cause I do like that. This is the moment where Sarah and the woman, they work, they work together for just a moment. Like there's this, this, um, we got to get these men out of here kind of vibe going that I really enjoy, you know? Yeah. It, it is a very kind of shock. Um, as you're watching this play out that we do now have them kind of uniting Mm -hmm. to get these men out of the space. Um, and I think it just really, again, resonates with that moment of Sarah in full birth being like the baby is stuck Mm -hmm. and now the woman has to do what she was going to do anyway Mm -hmm. um so it's it's just interesting that we spend this whole film thinking that this woman is there and going it the we end up at the destination that we we kind of can uh, perceive we're going mm-hmm. but that last little roundabout that we take is completely unexpected and mm-hmm. i really like that i think it just again it, it brings in that texture and layer mm-hmm. um to discussion of uh just the themes in this film yeah i think what i wrote in my notes about that was like this is between them you guys get out of here <laughs> you know exactly um the only other thing that i have in my notes there is a cat in this movie yeah mm-hmm. and this cat does die yeah. um shout out to uh pause cast producer kubrick the cat who edits all of our episodes here at bodies of four mm-hmm. um she watched it with me and she was not pleased mm, yeah it is a is a brutal scene and it seems to happen only because of spite you know or yeah or frustration the cat, the cat is not doing fuck all yeah the cat is <laughs> the cat is calm as can be mm-hmm. um and it's like what's going on here <laughs> it's like oh hey you're a lady what's up mm-hmm. uh, how are things and yeah did not appreciate that so just a heads up if you're watching this and that is something that upsets you. It is not something that is super, super explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't see like oodles of carnage. Mm-hmm. Um, shockingly in this film, like that is the death that is given. Like <laughs> it is like we'll go easy here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, I appreciate, you know. And there's this interesting tie to like maternal instinct or caregiving you know it's like she she doesn't care about tiny things she cares about this baby she wants this baby she doesn't care about anything else you know i could probably pull on that thread for a long time but yeah but the cat is the cat is very much present is there when sarah gets home Mm -hmm. 
just meowing about the plays being a kid. Yeah. So yeah, she's giving her support when she has that nightmare too. <laughs> yeah, we love we love a cat. Hate to see a cat go. Yeah. Um. So anything else about this film to touch on as we wrap up? Because I think we've covered so much. We really have. Yeah. I feel like the only other thing, and I just want to briefly mention is the weapons that she uses are all weapons that can be found around the house, which I think kind of like she uses a toaster, which it's brutal, but I love that moment where she just like and slaps her in the face with that toaster um she uses knitting needles she uses scissors like these are all like domestic tools that women would usually use which i think is really interesting and i think it kind of furthers that furthers that like home birth kind of metaphor which again just want to anybody about to at me i know Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is my interpretation but i think i think that's interesting you know i'm always fascinated by what a woman actually uses to kill you know yeah no and that's a that's a really good point and i know um that in in things that you've written and have talked about you you will often hone in on like well it's not just that the women are the killers here it's not that this is our antagonist it's what they're using Mm -hmm. kind of in the act what mm-hmm. is that telling us? And what is that telling us about what other people's feelings are about this character and about mm-hmm. womanhood in general? Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, yeah. It, the scissors, I think, are are very much, I think, kind of a symbol in this film. Yeah. Um, My body always kind of retracts every time we talk about the scissors because, oh, they're just so, so and gleaming. They're, they're gleaming they're substantial scissors these aren't like your little um they're not the ones uh, i got at michael's (laughs) no these are these are shears um but intense um yeah this film is a trip there is a remake i haven't seen it um but i would assume if it's much like um, the Martyrs remake, which I have seen. A lot of these remakes do go um, not necessarily like in a 1998 psycho beat by beat mm-hmm. um, realm, but pretty similar. Um, yeah. So if you like this film and you want to check out the remake um, and you've got thoughts and feelings on that, if it does anything different, please uh, feel free to reach out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Would be interested to know. Um, in terms of the uh there was something I I'm going back to my notes. Um there was something I wanted to mention about the directors as well. Mm-hmm. Um they have gone on to um uh do Leatherface, which mm-hmm. is um kind of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre prequel. Mm-hmm. Um so uh this film gets a lot of guff. I actually don't hate it. Yeah. I don't um, mind it. I don't think it's great, but I don't I don't think it's bad, you know. Yeah. Um and they also did a segment in ABC's of death mm. too 
So if you are into those um, anthologies, the ABCs of death, um, I some of those I find really difficult to get I, through. I haven't watched them. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, so if you're interested in seeing more of their work, uh, check that out. But I think that will wrap it up for in side and what a film um definitely i think there are other films within the new french extremity that i think can and probably should be covered here um one that comes to mind instantly is frontiers oh yeah i haven't seen that yet uh one of my favorites in real intense and one that does go i think also a little bit heavier into the social political kind of things that are happening that it wants to comment on so mm-hmm. be on the lookout for that jen thank you so much for talking about this film i i think that this has been an amazing conversation i'm so grateful not only uh for you taking the time because you're busy you are a busy lady um but for sharing i think so much of your experience what speaks to you about this film um really i think important and powerful stuff so thank you so much well thank you so much for having me um and thank you for for like being willing to have this like kind of hardcore conversation um, and providing a platform for me to kind of share about some of this stuff. It's sometimes kind of hard to find a a place that I feel like, you know, I can talk about this kind of stuff. And I think you just have created this, this space and this podcast. I'm just so glad it exists and, and feel really lucky to be a part of it. So thank you so much for inviting me to. Yeah. And as I mentioned at the beginning, Jen has been a huge inspiration and a guiding light in terms of what I do and how I approach it. So um you made me cry. <laughs> this is this is really special. Um so speaking of you being busy, oh, <laughs> we yeah. mentioned the uh different podcasts that you were a part of, but let this is this is the time to plug. Let folks know where you are, what you're doing, how they can follow along. Well, the best way to find all of it is by following me at Jennifer Atu. Um, I'm using various social media platforms. I don't know, interestingly now, because it's all kind of reshuffling. Instagram is probably my go-to, but I'm at Jennifer Atu on all of it and I will post everything. But yes, you can find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast and the Lady Killers podcast on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Um, social media handles for both of those I will post. And you can also find me coasting the White Ladies in Crisis podcast and the Girls on the Boys podcast on the Anatomy of a Screen pod squad. Um, and yeah, there are social media handles for both of those, I believe. Um, I don't run them, so <laughs> that's why I can't <laughs> list them off the top of my head. But you can also find my writing. I tend to write about a lot of this stuff too. Um, and I don't know if I can actually say this yet, but look out for more of my thoughts on this movie coming soon. I don't know Ooh. when the, the an announcement will happen, but but I'm really excited about that. So yeah, but if you follow me, I will post it all. Okay. Well, and all of the handles to follow Jen and 
her various podcasts will be in the show notes. So this is required reading, required listening, and required following for anyone here um, for sure. And yes, you guys just got treated to some, I think, early breaking news to oh, yes. <laughs> be on the lookout for. This is very exciting stuff. Um, So yes, thank you again, Jen, so much for being here. Thank you to the anatomy of a cream pod squad for being the heart and the home of bodies of horror. Uh, so glad to be part of an amazing, amazing group of shows and until next time. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.